Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome into the Inside the Game Guys podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. November 15th, halfway through this month. Thanksgiving coming up. <laughs> Wanted to start the show with something positive because, uh, you know, it wasn't all that positive. Uh, this past Saturday in Columbia, Missouri, Gamecocks fall to Missouri 31-28 in a game that wasn't that close. Carolina sort of came back at the end, had their chances, but uh, Missouri took it to them, outscoring the Gamecocks 31-7 after an early Gamecock lead of 7-0. I, you know, look, and thanks to Heritage Digital for this first part of the show, news and notes. You look at it, look at the the score, uh, look at the stats. It, uh, you know, the run defense did not stop Tyler Beatty. That was a key to the game. That didn't happen. Uh, Nobody blocked. That didn't happen. I think the first key of the game was, you know, Sat, Satterfield, Marcus, whatever you want to call it, needs to fly the plane. That definitely didn't happen. Um, Run the ball, stop the run. You you get out 230-something to 57. That didn't happen. Um, none of the keys to the game happen, uh, which should tell you that this team is, you know, just from a player standpoint, it, it, I mean, it was kind of an upset, you know, the, the ingredients of an upset were, you know, the other team that should win the game does not play that well and makes mistakes and has errors all over the field. And, you know, the other team that's not supposed to win wins, but I mean, that that's, that's all beside the point. Um, you know, this was not a game the Gamecocks should have lost. Really the first one that's went that way this year when you think about it. You know, you have, uh, you know, the other losses this year. You know, Kentucky's probably in that category. When you look back on it, you know, 16 to 10, I think a lot of times folks around here just kind of chalk Kentucky up as being, you know, the New England Patriots because they've been so successful against the Gamecocks. But, uh, well, now Missouri has, folks. Missouri's got a three-game win streak in that series. And, you know, it's disappointing for Shane Beamer, first year of his tenure, that the Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri games all went the other direction. That's a – definitely those are three series that – when you take over at South Carolina, given the state of the program, those are the games you you, you series you want to turn. 
I guess Missouri and Kentucky, and, you know, Tennessee's scoring a bunch of points, and they did until the second half against Georgia. Uh, you know, those are the the programs that are sort of your peers within the SEC East. I don't know how much longer we're going to have an SEC East, uh, but at least a few more years. I mean, I, you know, you, those are games that, you know, at one point for this program were expected wins, but I, I think you just have to admit it, it is what it is right now. You know, this program – has fallen behind some of its peers uh, in the SEC East. Do I think that, you know, it can't reverse itself quickly? No, I think it can. You know, I think, you know, South Carolina still has the advantages that South Carolina has over programs like Missouri and Kentucky. Uh, I don't want to say Tennessee because Tennessee has a history there, but definitely Missouri, Kentucky, Vandy within the division. Uh but, you know, you keep losing. It's hard to sit there and say, hey, this is a better job or this is a better program, you know, because there's a difference between programs and teams and jobs. Those are three distinct categories. Um, you know, it's hard to sit there and keep saying that, you know, when, when things have gone uh, like they have on the field. So, you know, I thought uh, <clears throat> Missouri – it's hard for me to say they had a good game plan on defense, but uh, – you know, what they did worked and crashing the ends and stacking the box and crowding the line of scrimmage, things like that. You know, if that worked every week, everybody do it, you know, it's not that hard. You know, you just go play. Um, there was nothing to really counter that. Uh, I thought that, you know, the Zaquandre White catch and score for a touchdown late was kind of an example of how to f- – you know, do something about it. You know, you attack the perimeter. Didn't see that. Didn't see Juju McDowell, uh, who was probably pretty good at, at making plays in that kind of scenario. Just a, just a, just a, a loss that probably, you know, if you're the game guys, you'd probably like to have it back. But uh, once again, mass confusion on the offensive line. I don't, I don't know really how much more I can stress this. You, you don't play well on the offensive line when you're confused. And talking to some contacts, difference between last week and this week, lots of confusion. You heard Jason Brown talk about setting up the wrong protection and stuff. Well, look, man, I mean, just, you know, take it out of the hands of the players. I mean, you, you've got people in the box. Just just wait and, you know, do – you know, they do that check with me on the sidelines anyway. Maybe he missed a signal. Something like that, that happens, and then that's fine. But it just seemed like, you know, that was a disaster. I thought that, you know, as far as the usage of Jason Brown as a quarterback, you know, this guy's been a spread shotgun quarterback for a while. I know they got under center some against Florida, and I don't mind that every now and then. But, you know, the power thing with Trey Jones didn't really show. I mean, it just – I don't know. It just seemed like it was a reversion – reversion. I don't even think that's a word – it reverted back to how it's been up until the Florida game from, from a execution or a, uh, a, a offensive plan standpoint. How about that? And on top of that, the defense couldn't stop the run well. Missouri's offensive line, I thought, and I'll give them credit for this, I thought they played really well, you know, as a unit. That's kind of how an offensive line should play. Uh, you just got to give them credit for it. I don't, I don't think this defensive line at South Carolina – uh, is as good when teams try to line up and run it as they are at pass rushing and making disruptive plays. Uh, and I think that's a fair assessment for these guys. 
I think they're all good at rushing the passer. I think sometimes they struggle against the run, and that's just how it is. And some defensive lines are like that. And that's why, you know, you'd much rather get teams in third and, you know, seven or eight than, you know, third and shorter. But, you know, Missouri's offense is sort of designed to do that, you know, four or five yards, short passes, that kind of thing. And then they hit you with the explosive plays on the outside. Tyler Beatty, of course, great game for them. Connor Basilak ended up starting. Um you know, thought early on Gamecocks maybe had him a little rattled with the pick and all that, but then they settled in. You know, you're sitting there driving up seven nothing, and this is this is interesting because I think I think things like this when they happen early in games negatively impact the entire organization, defense, offense, special teams, all the players. You're up seven nothing. You got the pick. Offense goes down the field, scores. You get it right back. You go back down the field. You know, you're rocking and rolling. It's about to be at least ten nothing. And then poor Marshawn Lloyd, and I say that because it just kind of seems like every time Marshawn Lloyd does something good, two plays later, somebody whiffs on a block, and he gets destroyed in the backfield. I don't know how much more of this, if I were him, I would take. I'd probably I'd probably go grab somebody by the jersey and get in their face because this happens to him over and over and over again. You know, and it's weird. It just seems to happen to him when he's out there. You see Lloyd, you know, and I thought Marshawn got off to a good start with the catch and run, 25 yards. You know, that's some confidence for him. You know, he had a, some big plays against Florida. He get down there, and then boom. Now, on that play, Turnitine just didn't, decided not to block the guy. I don't know, you know, who what was supposed to happen. But uh, obviously, Jazz Turnitine decided not to block. This guy comes streaking off the edge, meets the handoff in the backfield, and there's a fumble. Yeah, I don't know. You know, first of all, the way you avoid that is you at least get in their way. You know, <laughs> you don't just turn them loose. I mean, at a dead sprint. Um, you know, the other thing is maybe, you know, with them crashing like that, if, if there's the option there, Jason could have pulled it. I don't know if he could have pulled it, though, guys, because, hell, the guy was right there. You know, maybe you pull it and see what you can do and uh, run around the edge or something on his own. I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting because, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it was a zone play or gap play or whatever, but, you know, that's kind of when you do zone read, that's kind of the idea is that, you know, the other team will crash its ends. You just pull it and go. And they're completely screwed. <laughs> and when you do that, but that didn't happen. Um, you know, just a just an overall disappointing performance after a performance you could build on against Florida. And look, guys, I know after watching Florida and Sanford this weekend, I know that, you know, let, let's take everything teams do against the Gators defense with a grain of salt right now. Okay. Because Sanford had, what, 52 against them? <laughs> Up 42-28 in the swamp. I mean, you know, now look. Uh, I do think that the Sanford game for Florida to a certain extent, you know, when you're running Grantham's defense and you don't have Grantham, you have Christian Robinson calling it. He's never done that before. And really with, with the way Grantham's defense is, I mean, you, you almost got to have his mind to do it. You know, it's kind of like maybe that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to compare him to Steve Spurrier because that, that would go against everything I've ever believed about good coaching and bad coaching. But, you know, just so, sort of like how, like, Steve Spurrier's offense, when, you know, other people have tried to go run it, it, it doesn't work just because he's not 
there and it's his in his mind. And that's the same thing with Grantham's defense. It's a special kind of different thing. Not certainly not comparing it to the fun and gun or cock and fire or whatever Spurrier had on offense. Cause it's not even close, but that was my point. I mean, you know, that, that was going to be sort of a dumpster fire. I don't think anybody expected Sanford to do what they did. That Gators did win the game 70 to 52, but they had to come back. Uh, and lots of negative talking games. So, so, so let's, let's be honest. I mean, that, that wasn't your typical win over Florida, but you know, I look at the offense and the way they played that game and sort of what they did and their plan. And, you know, there was not a lot of complexity to the pre-snap and, uh, you know, if you really want to drill down on, on what's going on with the offense this year at Carolina, and I keep hearing this more and more, and like I said, I'm not a coach, so maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the people I've talked to are wrong, but, you know, a lot of those people are coaches and, and know, um, you know, but I, I think you could pin a lot of it on pre-snap stuff. But just because you, you heard, you keep hearing over and over, well, it didn't do this before, it didn't do that, it didn't do this. And then against Florida, you heard, oh, well, Eric Douglas just called it. and Jason was just going to do whatever Eric Douglas said. And, then, you know, so, so you kind of – there's kind of little Easter – they call them Easter eggs, I guess, that you can find that kind of point toward well, whatever they're doing and putting on the quarterback and the offensive line pre-snap just was not working. And against Florida, they just kind of put a hat on a hat and went. Now, I mentioned gap plays versus zone plays last week. They, they tried to run gap plays this week, and it just didn't work. You know, and the, look, there there has to be some sort of counter when teams try to play Carolina this way because, honestly, East Carolina, I think, played them a little bit this way with stacking it and stuff. I think uh, Auburn and Clemson would be brilliant and smart to play them this way because there just doesn't look like there's any idea what to do once that's happening. And that's unfortunate. So, Gamecocks are five and five. They're two and five in the SEC. SEC finale Saturday night against Auburn and Columbia. Auburn blew a big game or a big lead in their game against Mississippi State. They're 28 to three. Mississippi State wins 43-34. Big win for the Pirate. That team didn't quit. Uh, once they sort of came back and took the lead, Auburn didn't look like they didn't know what they were doing, um, especially defensively. Uh, Mississippi State's defense adjusted and held Tank Bigsby in check. Uh, Auburn does not have a great offensive line, so South Carolina's defensive line should have somewhat of an advantage. But, you know, it's Auburn, and they're going to be looking to reestablish momentum for their Iron Bowl game uh, coming up at the end. And, uh, you know, we all know who's calling plays for them, so I'm sure he's familiar with the personnel and all that. So Gamecocks, I think, are a seven-point underdog as far as the early lines go, uh, as far as Auburn is concerned. So that's, you know, news and notes, obviously, brought to you by Heritage Digital. Just a couple other things. Uh, high school football note, Dave Gutshaw retires from Dorman after 29 seasons, won two state championships, played for six others, won 279 games, revolutionized, uh, I think, sort of the way Dorman played with uh, with his passing game and all that when he came from North Carolina. Having grown up in Spartanburg, that school and that football program specifically, it was always a big school, right? You know, it grew, and Dorman, big student body. Uh, those of you from the Berg remember, it was right by the mall, Westgate Mall. Uh, 
Well, they weren't very good at football for a long, long time. And Gutshaw changed that starting early in his tenure. Remember, 95, Spartanburg High School and Dorman High School played twice, played for the state championship. Uh, the Vikings won. They were the powerhouse back then. But, uh, you know, always makes you feel a little older when uh, somebody like Dave Gutshaw retires, you know, I think. Um, so that that broke today. Um, game caught basketball over the weekend. Sort of, you know, the Princeton game Friday night sort of had a here-we-go-again game, losing to a good mid-major, which could have turned into a quality resume-boosting win, but it was not meant to be. Uh, after an early 19-9 lead, Carolina, you know, got Princeton got back in it. Princeton eventually pulled away one. It was close, but 66-62, that was the final and then the game guys come back and beat Western Kentucky, who's supposed to be pretty good this year, uh, 75-64. I think somebody on the board – now, look, I haven't looked at it, so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Western Kentucky's not that good. I'm wrong. But Western Kentucky supposed to be a uh, – I think Western Kentucky and UAB and Conference USA. Those are supposed to be the two teams that battle it out for that league, I think. I think it's Conference USA. It is. I know Western Kentucky is in Conference USA. UAB kind of uh, – they're going to the American, but they're not in the American yet. UAB comes to Columbia Thursday night, so that should be another important game, uh, another chance to get a win over a good mid-major. Gamecocks are 2-1 and one now. Um, Eric Stevenson, the transfer from Washington. <laughs> uh, I think I mentioned – he'd probably be my least favorite player. And, you know, what I meant by that, look, I I don't have, like, players that I, I don't like. I mean, I, I sort of see the good in everybody. There's some guys that, you know, in different sports, I'm like, well, they should be put on the bench. And, and I want to make it clear, I'm not saying that about Eric Stevenson. Like, he's not one where I'm like, why are they playing this guy? It's just kind of a preference with basketball for me. Volume shooters drive me nuts. Because when they're cold, it's like ugly, and it got ugly. It's been ugly all three games for for Stevenson. He does a lot good otherwise. Big energy guy, you know, like his game. But I'm like, goodness gracious, man, quit shooting. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and and I say that as somebody that's not a bad. I mean, I'm sure you know the, the basketball book says don't don't tell him to quit because you want him to heat up. I'm sure that's what they say. I mean, and, I, and I'm I'm not. I'm certainly not saying that's wrong. You know, whatever Frank's doing is fine with me. I'm just as a observer slash fan, I'm like, mm, man, that's it's tough going three for 23. <laughs> I'm like, Whew, goodness gracious. Uh, but anyway, I say that sort of in jest. But, uh, you know, Wilton's Levesque's off to a good start. Cousinard scoring points, you know, two and one right now. It's not that bad. It's only November 15th. This is probably – we probably should be talking about the season opener happening later this week. Cause I just, I think college basketball starts about a week or two too early these days. And that's why you see some of these teams taking losses, you know, because you've got, uh, you know, it's early, you know, and then in, in a lot of places, it doesn't feel like basketball season yet, you know, and, and I think that's why sometimes you'll see, especially in the SEC where everybody's still focused on football, you know, you, you got like, a thousand people there and, and all that good stuff. So that's it uh, for that. Ah, yeah. I picked 24, 21. I got a, I got a nasty email about that, that I won't read, but you know, th- this is why I don't like making predictions because people like hang on to them 
And I picked Carolina to win 24-21. Said that was on conserv- the conservative side a little bit. Wouldn't be surprised if it was more. Uh, I got lit up by it. But I'll point out that I got the margin right. I just got the winning team wrong. So I understand that, though. That's why. So I don't like making predictions, but I do it anyway. It's just one of those things that, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. So anyway, so football, basketball, what else do we got? Baseball, non-conference series uh, games were announced today. I'll read those to you quickly. Probably should want to read them in print. But Gamecocks open February 18th through 20th. Three games against UNC Greensboro at Founders Park. Got a game against Winthrop. Three games against George Washington. Then they go to Charlotte to play App State. Then three-game series against Clemson. And then Xavier comes in. And then three-game series with Texas. So that Texas series comes back to Columbia this year. Texas, of course, in the College World Series last year. Uh, midweek games, once SEC starts, Gardner-Webb, PC, North Florida, North Carolina A&T, USC Upstate, and Charlotte, the 49ers. Um, they go to the Citadel. They go to Winthrop. And they play that annual game against the Tar Heels in Charlotte on uh, April 5th. So that's that. Um SEC schedule was announced last week. Gamecocks avoid Arkansas, uh, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. Uh, from what I read correctly, unlike last year where they had to play all three of those teams from the West. So the West draw for the Gamecocks, if you base it on last year, is a little more favorable. Now we all know college baseball teams change from season to season, and uh, so who knows uh, who will be good and who will not be good. But uh, it's like another entertaining – Schedule for the Gamecocks. You got, uh, you know, you got the uh, Clemson series. And that, again, the neutral site game, again, is uh, where the Fireflies play in Columbia. So two in Columbia. Uh, and then you got Founders Park and up there at Doug Kingsmore Stadium. It, uh, that series starts in Columbia Friday, Columbia Fly- Fireflies on Saturday, and then up in Clemson in March. So there's your news and notes. Brought to you, as always, by Heritage Digital. And we appreciate Heritage Digital and all that they're doing uh, for us. We certainly appreciate it. Now, the analysis portion of the podcast, which I got into some of that earlier. You know, uh, the format here, yeah, it's, I'm going to try to have a better format, but we all know how that goes. It's brought to you by Cindy Searfoss, Colwell Banker Kane from, mentioned my hometown of Spartanburg, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue, 864-414-5271. Married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in upstate 35 years. We know the real estate market's crazy right now. Cindy can help you with all of your needs. Uh, 864-414-5271 or ccearfoss at cbcane.com. I'll spell that for you. C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Kane with an E, cbcane.com. Cindy will be glad to help you. Please tell her you heard about it here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Cindy also proudly is the sponsor of the prediction episode every week sometimes it's thursday sometimes it's friday uh but she uh you know she's definitely a big sponsor here of the inside the gamecocks podcast just recently expanded with us so that's exciting and i certainly always appreciate that so it's the analysis portion um some of the stuff on the big spur.com already uh, i always put my thoughts out put some thoughts out on the site 
I guess, Saturday after the game and was really kind of brief, but just and, and I bro- broke my own rule there. You know, I don't like talking about the game right after the game. Uh, I just don't. I just uh, I like to kind of go back and watch and settle in because a lot of times, you know, anybody and anybody can say this, even coaches, their initial reactions after watching the film, watching the film, are not really the same as uh, you know what the reality ends up being because you kind of everything's kind of fast and all that during the game. But what I said was I thought that you know the Carolina staff did not put Jason Brown in a position to be successful like they did against Florida. And I talked about that all week against Florida. I said, you can't go out there and with Jason Brown and do what you've been doing. You have to adjust. You know, he's more of a spread shotgun guy. He's an improviser. Uh, you know, you, you try to force a square peg in a round hole with him. It's, it's probably going to be a struggle. Now, look, there were, there were some execution things that were totally off and had nothing to do with play calling. Don't get me wrong. Um, but <laughs> then again, the offensive line, I mean, how do they go from being not confused to very confused yet again? Um, and then there were some times they just simply got beat. Uh, and then there weren't a lot of adjustments against what Missouri was obviously doing. And as I said about the Missouri defense and sort of their game plan, um, there's a counter for it in football. Otherwise, everybody would do it. You know, everybody, I mean, shoot. You know, you tell your defensive ends, man, you're going to, you're going to shoot up field and just get after it every single play. They're praising, you know, the, the defensive end gods because they can just go go after it. You know, they don't have to have assignments or read or engage or anything. Just go. Well, there's 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 a reason teams don't do that all the time. It's because, hey, well, you know, there's plays that can get you beat badly. Um, Didn't really see a lot of counters with that. Uh, I thought the – you know, the, it was unfortunate the the fumble there in the second half that that ended up with the touch the touchdown the fumble. I you know that just that was a backbreaker offensively. And at that point, you sort of knew, man, this is it's not the Gamecocks' day. You know, then they didn't get up off the mat again until the defense, which you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not I'm not even going to say the defense played good because it didn't. Uh, obviously, you you have to go into that game stopping one guy above all. And you don't do it. You're, 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 you didn't have a very good day on defense. Um, but to its calling card, here comes the defense forcing turnovers. And the Gamecocks actually scored off those turnovers this time, uh, unlike uh, uh, in the past where Gamecocks have got turnovers and not scored. You know, so credit the defense and the offense for, for taking advantage of that. But, you know, getting those uh, plays – Late on defense, allowed it to be a game. And then, you know, how many times you're going to go to the well? Missouri gets the ball back. Beatty rips off a 30-yard run. Then they rip off an 11-yard run, another 11-yard run. That's it. And that's tough. That's, that's, that's a tough, tough to deal with, I think. Um, but at that point, you know, you don't know how tired the defense was, what they had left in the tank, that type of thing. Certainly not absolving them because, you know, you need to get that stop and get off the field, just like Kentucky. You needed to get off the field, and it didn't happen. But, you know, these guys, you know, I thought in the first half, Jason Brown's ability to improvise and 
throw that touchdown pass to Van. And then, you know, I thought his some of his plays kept them in the game the first half. I thought the defense allowed them to come back. You know, so it's hard to sit there and, you know, complain too much about what those guys did. It was not perfect. It was not what I'd call a good defensive game. But uh, that's what happened. You know, I'm still in favor of making a change at center. Um, I, th- I think that they need, you know, I thought Eric Douglas played solid against Florida. I thought, you know, they're not very strong in the middle right now. And I think that still would like to see them change that up and go with Vinny Murphy on the inside. Um, You know, I thought Vorshawn Lee played well. The tackles were struggling. Ja'Kai Moore comes in the game and uh, replaces Turnantine, who I'm, I'm sorry, he's just not playing well. Uh, and, and, you know, at six, seven, three thirty, you, you probably expect a guy to, you know, be a little bit better. He's got good feet, but he just has no punch and it just, uh, it's just not working with him right now. Uh, I don't know how healthy Ja'Kai Moore is. I know Dylan Wanham's out for the season with a back issue. So you've got a young Wanamaker at one side. He tries hard. It was not ideal an ideal game for him with the tackles and or the, the ends coming and all that. Uh, South Carolina's tackles just got completely obliterated. And, and here's the thing. Yeah, Missouri's run defense has been bad this year, but Missouri's got personnel at defensive end. I mean, they've got players. Jeff Coates, one of them, and the other one's good too. And then they got a third one. Um, you know, so that's, that's a matchup that maybe you have to compensate for. Um, you know, but Turnout's not playing well. So they, they need to make a change there at left tackle, if possible. You know, if Ja'Kai is ready to go, he does make mistakes. He makes less mistakes than Turner time. Uh, and I'm still in favor of playing Vinny Murphy. I think Murphy brings some toughness uh, to the position or to the, the whole offensive line uh, that they need. They need a guy that can finish blocks. It's kind of a, a baller to go do it. That's just my opinion, you know. Uh, if, if they don't start Vinny Murphy next week and – the line plays well and they win the game, you know, fine. That's that's whatever. What do you know, JC? But that's just kind of what I was thinking. I don't know where the Trey Jones package went. I, I honestly, you know, I think it was one of those overthinking things because, look, man, um, they're rushing upfield, stacking the box. You got that big dude coming in. You know, they know it's run. Everybody knows it's run, but. You know, how, are you going to stop it with your ends looping around like that? No, I don't think so. Again, I'm not a coach. So what do I know? But uh, didn't seem like they wanted to use that package very often. I did did like the Jaheim Bell at fullback thing. Been calling for that for a couple of weeks. But like so many things in this offense, you, you, you see it one way because you don't see it the next. And that's great if you're going up and down the field on everybody and your offense is good and scoring and executing well. And all your players can run every play. Great. More power to you. And that's what I was talking about, about the pizza last week. I said, you know, and that, that's what I meant by the toppings are good. It's the crust and sauce distribution. And boy, this Saturday, the, the, the crust was doughy and the sauce was, you know, half of it had too much sauce. Half of it had no sauce. Uh, it got burnt. You know, on the outside, doughy on the inside. Uh, just about as bad of a pizza as you can possibly make. So, you know, what I meant by that, too, was like the the whole notion of let's do something different every game is is good. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a topping. Great. But if you can't do your basics 
and your players are confused when you try to do, you know, why you're dead, dead on arrival, man, in college football. So, you know, and one thing I do get is, is, th- is there going to be a change, man? I don't know. I don't know. I know that if you, if you, you listen to what Beamer says publicly, you probably feel like, no, change will not be made. But I, I'm going to tell you that, you know, a lot of coaches <laughs> say some things publicly and, you know, just to kind of defend their team and keep everybody together while the season's going on. And then they get into evaluation mode after the season and make changes as needed. Um, and that just seems to me, I think that's Shane Beamer's philosophy. And and that's a philosophy a lot of coaches have, um, you know, just saying, Hey, look, uh, you know, we're going to worry about that when we have to right now, worry about Auburn, Auburn coming in, like I said, seven point favorite. So that's kind of the analysis, um, you know, basketball don't have much analysis. I mentioned that, uh, earlier, uh, other than, you know, I, I think the Princeton loss obviously was disappointing, but this team did respond and beat Western Kentucky and they're supposed to be pretty good too. You know, this UAB game to me is big. Andy Kennedy, Frank Martin's good friend coming in. Uh, UAB has a, a great history uh, in basketball, and, you know, they really support their program over there. And Andy Kennedy, of course, we, we know him from Ole Miss. He's one of Frank Martin's really good friends. They were together at Cincinnati. Really good coach. Um, so a chance to get a quality win uh, Thursday night at the Colonial Life Arena. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see sort of how all that goes as we – continue to march toward um, toward the December portion of the schedule, which is just sort of weird to me. Uh, you got UAB, uh, then next Monday, a week from tonight, you got Wofford, then you got Ryder, and then December 1st, it's at Coastal, December 5th, Georgetown, a week off for exams, I think, Florida State in Rock Hill, Allen University, then at Clemson, then Army and SC State, you know, it is another thing that drives me crazy about the college basketball schedules these days. The and look, this is probably better for the kids, right? Because they always get they seem to get Christmas off. The Christmas tournaments have gone away, man. You used to have like December twenty seventh, twenty eighth. You go to like the Sun Bowl tournament or the Sugar Bowl tournament or something. There's no no no, no Christmas tournaments. Everybody plays sort of these early season things or or whatever, obviously I think with the schedule being spread out like this, th- that was probably the idea behind starting it early. And look, anything for the players is great with me. Um, just missed the Christmas tournament. So I, one of the earliest Gamecock memories I had, well, not, not really early memory. I was, I was what, 10, 11? In 86, 87, I, I think I just turned 11. The Gamecocks played in the Sugar Bowl tournament down at the Superdome in New Orleans, I uh, played Vandy. It was a very big double overtime win over Vandy. George Felton was the coach at Carolina at the time. Uh, and then they played Villanova, coached by Raleigh Massimino, and lost 69-59. I remember Houston was the other team uh, in that particular tournament, but just a fun time with my dad. You know, uh, He was a private pilot, and we flew the plane down to New Orleans. I remember going into the French Quarter, getting a really good lunch, and all that good stuff, uh, you know, but I remember that Sugar Bowl tournament. Also remember it wasn't a Christmas tournament, but it was a, a early December tournament when the Gamecocks played at Miami in football in 87. Gamecocks were also in a, I don't remember if it was the Orange Bowl Classic or a Miami Holiday or whatever, but they played the Hurricanes and 
they played Southern Illinois in a basketball tournament around that time. And that the game against Miami was the same day as the football game. It was just early in the day. And everybody's chanting, football's next, football's next. Gamecocks won that one, 76-63. I don't know how I remember that score. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was another, like, fun trip, but it was football and basketball at the same time. Uh, so anyway, I don't know. I missed the holiday tournaments, but oh, well. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, and the Gamecocks have UAB, Wofford, and Ryder coming up before a road game at Tulsa. I mean, sorry, at, Col- at Coastal. Not at Tulsa, Coastal. And uh, Georgetown, Florida State back-to-back. So Carolina uh, has played their last game outside of the state of South Carolina until January 9th when they go to Vanderbilt, which has been a house of horrors. Uh, for the second game of the SEC schedule. So the schedule this year, uh, the games away from the Colonial Life Arena are in Conway, Rock Hill, and Clemson. Um, So it's all in-state from here. That's an interesting schedule, the way it's kind of played out this year. It's a tough one, though. It's a tough schedule. So we'll see what happens. Game. uh, By the way, the uh, game on Thursday, 7 p.m. tip-off on ESPN+. You can stream that. Uh, again, that's Thursday. All right, time for the mailbag. Always an interesting time <laughs> for the mailbag after a loss. Not as many people, so I hope that's not uh, some things, you know, apathy setting in or whatever. So we'll see sort of what uh, what happens there. Um, for two ways to get in the mailbag, first of all, I want to tell you about the sponsor, and it's iHelp Consulting. You guys know iHelp Consulting? Uh, you know, these guys are uh, really good at saving you money. Um, it's really good to reach out to them because it doesn't cost you a thing. Daniel Owens, uh, I Help Consulting can help you. It's a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only business is to help your business save money on expenses. Credit card processing can be too high. Internet service can be too high. Insurance can be too high. Anything else can be too high. And iHelp Consulting can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If they can't help your business, it's of no cost to you. So call or text Daniel at iHelp, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com for for the late. So here we go. There's two ways to get into the mailbag. And the first way is follow us on Twitter at the Bigsburg Pod. And uh, lots of tweets. A lot of these come in in game. What's this? Okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Pray and play, who's become a prolific tweeter here. He goes, okay, so the first half has happened. We have 13 yards rushing. What's the difference between last week and this week? Why so much defensive penetration from a terrible Missouri run D? Well, they were, uh, you know, rushing their defensive ends upfield and stacking the box. You got to be able to counter that. Like I've said, if, if that worked all the time, teams would do that all the time. You know, you'd see everybody doing it. So it just didn't, uh, didn't, didn't um ah the ESPN Upstate Twitter account is nothing but trash. Um, just want to say that just saw this stupidity again from those guys. Very disappointing from a place I used to work where you know 
lots of people in that building are really good people. And, and I'm not saying even they're bad people. I'm just saying that their approach to the Gamecocks has sucked. It's not funny. Uh, I don't know if they're playing to an audience that's maybe more fans of another team, uh, but continuing to uh, say the things they do that make no sense. Uh, and there's a difference between legitimate criticism and things that make no sense. It's just bogus and garbage. But anyway, you guys can check that out for yourself. T-Rat says, maybe we should start game planning for Clemson now. Nah, it's uh, – <laughs> Auburn's a big game, man, you know, and Auburn's not an impenetrable force. You know, we've seen them lose some games this year. And uh, you got to prepare for all of them. You got to get the wins any way you can. He said, here's a halftime reaction for you. He also tweeted halftime. If we can get a bye between each game, our offense will be awesome. Unfortunately, that's not how it works in college football. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I think the idea is consistency, hoping for some second-half adjustments. Well, I didn't see many of those, right? Um, And I don't know that the off week had much to do with anything other than, you know, maybe simplifying things, getting it, you know, more squared away. Uh, Honestly, and I call you T-Rat because I don't know how to pronounce your name well. Uh, T-Rat. Uh, you know, I, I expected, like I said, I gave the pizza analogy. I, I thought there were a lot of toppings against Missouri, but there was nothing, no base. Uh, you got to have things you do well, right? Uh, even Muschamp's offenses when he was at South Carolina, they had one or two things that were their bread and butter. Now, look, you shut them down. That's fine. Like the pin and pull run for a while there was kind of the base run for the game. I shut that down. Fine. You know, but uh, it should always be something your players are good at doing, too, by the way. Uh, Hoodie says, does Jason Round have to do the Tony Romo spin before every pass? And that was mentioned. And look, this Shane Beamer's right about this. You know, Jason Brown could not rely on the spin every single time. But when you're under that much duress, uh, you know, you, you kind of revert to what what is good. I mean, and it, it's produced some good plays this year. But Shane Beamer's right in the sense that there are some of those plays where Jason Brown needs to step up into the pocket and fire the football. You talk about defensive ends crashing and things like that. That's, that's what you do too. You step up, uh, the ends kind of go back behind you. You step up in the pocket guards and centers. Get, they have that kind of blocked off and you fire the football. And that didn't happen at times either Saturday night, but uh, you know, you, you got to, Got to have a pocket to do it and all that good stuff. But I, you know, look, I'm not going to, you know, I'll, other than saying Beamer's absolutely correct about that, and that's something Jason Brown has to improve upon, uh, it's hard for me to sit here and, you know, uh, come down on that kid for doing stuff that, has, you know, has helped his team score points and win games. Um, but obviously with everything, there's a time and a place and, you know, Beamer is absolutely right. Uh, Golfcock says, we were beat up front on both sides of the ball. Defensive tackles high, allowing for more yardage gains. Missed blocking assignments. Receivers uh, blowing safeties out coach. We were not prepared. We are back to the first eight games. That's a very good observation, Golfcock. He said, Brown had not did not have time, but he could have stepped up in the pocket some. Backward rollouts didn't work. They seemed to know he was going to do it and ready. Also seems like their defense knew our counts and our plays. Well, it always seems like they know the plays when 
they're able to easily sniff them out. Um, yeah, going backward in football generally does not work. Okay. Sometimes it can buy you some time. Uh, you can throw the ball away, avoid a sack, but you know, with them getting that much momentum, you know, tend to agree. Uh, I do agree. I agree with you and Shane Beamer. Absolutely correct. Uh, Brown, she could have stepped up in the pocket more. So, uh, that's, that's one thing about Saturday's game. But if you look back on, you, you want to put it on Brown, you know, yeah, he could have done that. So that's an absolutely astute observation, Golfcocks. Gamecock fan three, multiple tweets from him. JC, maybe I missed it, but what happened to the fullback run that were successful for us last week? Now, you and me both, I wonder. We just decided that worked too well and we shouldn't do it against the worst run defense we'll play all year. Uh, good plan. This hurts. It did hurt. It did hurt. Joe Sports Caller goes on his question on we'll scale of one to 100 for coaching malpractice. Were we at 100 versus Missouri? Offensive line play, linebacker play, quarterback play, and head coach were horrible. Was this Beamer's worst game at South Carolina? I, I don't know what you put on the head coach other than, I mean, were there any kind of clock mismanagement things or anything? Beamer was on the headset just going, he wasn't happy. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I, I know the buck stops with the head coach, but I think we all know this. I think that, and look, linebacker play was not good, right? Defensive line was playing too high. Those are all legit. Those are things you take. Okay. You know, nobody thought Brad Johnson and Damani Staley were going to be anything but serviceable this year. And they've actually played better than expected. Uh, I can still make a case for Debo and Muhammad Kaba being in there, but after last week when they held the Gators back, uh, you know, I fine, you know, whatever, whoever, whatever works on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I, I think we know what the problem is. You know, I, I think that, you know, how do you solve it is the question. And one way you could solve it was do like they did against Florida and say, hey, you need to simplify and, 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 call it and haul it and let Jason Brown do things Jason Brown can do and try to run the ball somehow and, uh, you know, not go back to the grab bag of plays, uh, I guess the dartboard offense, which is what it seemed like, you know, maybe, and, and look guys, again, I'm not a coach. There's probably, you could probably sit down with uh, anybody that coaches and they can tell you what the thought process was. And it would probably make sense. Uh, but, you know, my whole contention is, okay, we'll get back to, is this what Jason Brown's the most comfortable running? Is this what your offensive line is comfortable blocking? Uh, you, you, you can, every play is designed to actually score a touchdown. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a matter of execution and all that good stuff. So I, I, I don't know, you know, head coach wise at all, the buck stops with him, obviously. Uh, I think as far as the, the progression of the program goes, um, I said all summer, you know, beating Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, that needed to change, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, but you got to get a win over a very, I don't know, dysfunctional Florida team, right? Um, and maybe that makes up for it, for losing all three of these. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you're looking at the SEC East for as long as the SEC East is around – you know, you, you need to kind of look and say, hey, you know, we're not beating these guys. You know, South Carolina as a program 
is never going to have the advantages that a Georgia has or a Florida has um, and not going to have the tradition of Tennessee unless there's a long, long period of the Gamecocks just being better than they are. And there hasn't been because, honestly, you've got, uh, you know, you've got the uh, the um, years where they've been down and then the Gamecocks slid down right along with them. And now, you know, they've got some hope up there. Got some hope up there. They're not uh, – they're five and five. Now they have Vandy and another team they should beat up, and then they beat Kentucky again. Um, so they're probably looking at seven and five, eight and five this year, which is uh, higher than a lot of people thought. You know, Missouri, five and five. Uh, Florida doesn't miraculously get up off the mat. You know, they're looking at probably six and six in a bowl. You know, you, you got to gotta keep pace with these guys, man, because you, you look up one day and you're really just better than Vandy. And Vandy's in a big hole themselves. So, you know, and you're one point better in the game. But, you know, that's just kind of the, the deal there. Um, so, obviously, that was not a good loss. I mean, that was just not, you know, it, it, it's telling that as bad as the Gamecocks played, it ended up being a three-point game. You know, that shows you the other team, you know, they're not a bunch of world beaters. They just made the plays they had to. Um Gamecocks and they allow the Gamecocks to come back, which teams that aren't that good do. Thomas says, JC, what's your opinion on the offensive coaches going forward? I'll be very disappointed if Sat is there going forward because I've been burned by Muschamp's crony coaching habits. I feel like there has to be a better option despite Bobo leaving us in the manner that he did. And I want to address this too. Um, I don't, you know, because of everything that's happened, Right. With the Muschamp era, with the slide of the program uh, and with cronyism in general around South Carolina, not just in the football program, but with the university and things like that. And I'm not saying, you know, that, that, that Ray Tanner being the AD is a result of that, though. I know some of you feel that way. And uh, but, you know, you, you look at what happened with. You know, Steve Spurrier Jr. being given control of the program when Spurrier was here. You look at, you know, Muschamp. Uh, I don't want to – I don't think BMAC was a crony hire. I, th- I thought T-Rob was. And sticking with him while the defense got progressively worse was probably something that Will Muschamp probably regrets. Um, y- You know, so I sort of get it. I-, I get it. Now, there's some things that aren't cronyism. The people that say – Jake Bentley only stayed in the game because he's a coach's son. That's wrong. That's just not true. And that's nothing against Michael Skarnakia uh, and the game he had three years ago. I mean, that's just Jake was the best quarterback they had. And I think it proved that proved itself out when the bottom falls out when he gets hurt. Okay. But, you know, that's something everybody can do. We can debate that this summer. Um, so I understand, you know, and, and much was made about Satterfield being Beamer's buddy or whatever. And, all that and and I and I get it, but I also don't think like I think if you're Shane Beamer and you sit down and you're like, I need to go hire a great offensive coordinator, and you and you go and you, you know, you try you take a shot at Joe Brady or whoever, and you know some of these guys, and um, it doesn't work out, and then Bobo, you know, Bobo's staying, and you're oh well, good, Mike Bobo certainly a very competent play caller, and then he leaves. You know, you're you're finally like, well, I'm just going to use this to because I want to run the you know because Mike Bobo's offense, while it is very competent, um, 
probably wasn't what he had and what he really had in mind. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get a guy that's gonna you know do what I like to do. And oh yeah, well let's combine this and this and this. And and so if you're a head coach, you know, hey, great, let's do it. And look, I'm gonna tell you this. Shane Beamer's not the only coach that's done this before. I mean, Urban Meyer left Florida after 2010 because he had hired a bunch of guys on his staff that he didn't even trust or like or, or want to deal with, okay? You know, offense, defense, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, if the great Urban Meyer can mess his staff up at the University of Florida after two national championships, you know, Shane Beamer can make a bad hired offensive coordinator. You know, Steve Spurrier, his first defensive coordinator hire at South Carolina, and all of them at Florida except Stoops and then Hoke uh, were not good. And the second time he hires Hoke, it's not, it doesn't work. You know, even even Dabo Sweeney had to make changes uh, off his initial deal. And on offense and defense, you know, he hired Steele away from Alabama, and, you know, Napier's proven to be a very competent coach. It's just – wasn't working, so he made the changes. I mean, you know, you, you can you can look around and see that. I mean, it, it's not – I mean, Dan Mullen hired Todd Grantham. How about that, you know? It, it's not a situation where, you know, good coaches or, or bad coaches, you know, or, or let's just say this, that Beamer all of a sudden doesn't know what he's doing as a head coach because this wasn't a hire that worked out, Right. And look, I, I, I think it had much more to do with, oh, here's what Satterfield wants to run, and this is kind of philosophically what I like. Now, I don't, I don't know that he's that Shane's seen what that philosophy is or not. Or not probably, um, you know, I think it's more so about that than it was about, oh, he's my buddy, so we're gonna go take over the SEC together. I, I, I think too much has been made of that, and I re, I'll reiterate: Shane Beamer's got a lot of friends around college football, a lot, you know. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that him being his buddy played that big of a factor into it. Um, nor do I think it's going to play a factor as to whether or not Satterfield stays. I just don't. I, I, you know, I just uh, have more. You know, it's a business, right? And and you know, you've got to understand as a head coach, you know, you're never going to bat a thousand on everything. Um, I think the percentage has been pretty good. Uh, I think when you look at the other coaches he's brought in, Clayton White, by the way, this news just broke, nominated for the Broyles Award, which is the top assistant coach in college football. He was also 2017, 2019, and 2020 a Broyles Award nominee. Um, and I think the defense is. Rough of a game as they had stopping the run at Missouri. I think that defense is overperformed. They get turnovers. They help put the team in position to be successful. You can't say the same thing about the offense. The offense is a liability. Um, you know, so hiring White after, you know, you shot, you know, shoot your shot with a guy like Derek Mason. You know, Jay Bateman from North Carolina was a guy they talked about, or that I talked about being in the in the mix. And you go get a you know, a guy that and, – and, and literally this should be the blueprint, I think, if there is a change. Like, if I'm Shane Beamer, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go one of two directions. Either I'm going with a guy that's got like a Jim Chaney type that has a load of 
SEC experience. Now, Jim Chaney would scare me a little bit because he's been in the NFL for one year. And, you know, Kurt Roper, Marcus Satterfield, I'm convinced that that one year in the NFL threw them off because I think some of these guys get too, you know, they get used to that. And they're like, oh, wow. And, and like for somebody that likes football, man, the NFL, it's like heaven. You, know, you don't have to recruit. You don't have to motivate. You can be as complex as you want because you've got all day, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, wow, this is going to trick everybody. No, you're not tricking anybody because you, your kids can't do it. Um so either somebody that's got a bunch of experience that you know at least, you know, maybe this guy isn't, you know, dynamic, uh, but you, you can sit there and point to when he's had top 10 offenses, top five offenses. He's called plays before. He's competent. He knows what to do. He also knows how to do it at the college level. Or you need to go, and this would be my preference, go the Clayton White route. Go look and see, well, who are some of the best offenses at the group of five or, or even at FCS? You know, where are they at? And, and this is one thing I loved about the Clayton White hire, um, you know, at, for, from covering recruiting nationally and kind of keeping up with every team. At Western Kentucky University, it is very difficult to recruit defensive ball players. Um, it, is a, it is a school that is not located near any kind of talent pocket. Um, out there in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, it is a school that does get, you know, some fan support. A lot of people love the Hilltoppers, that kind of thing. Um, but you look at their history, who's coached there and, and, and who's done well. Jeff Brahms coached there. He was an offensive coach. He's done well. Willie Taggart's coached there. Willie, that was his alma mater. Willie Taggart, probably not what I would call a good coach, but an offensive guy, right? Bobby Petrino was there for a year. Okay, you get the point. Western Kentucky is an offensive program. You know, they've been able to get skill talent, quarterbacks, run it. They run a dynamic system, that kind of thing. Very difficult to play defense there. And in that league, it is even more difficult to play defense. So you got a guy that's put some top 10 defenses on the, on the field at Western Kentucky. You, you know, that guy's probably pretty good at not only coaching up a defense and running a defense, but also overcoming personnel deficiencies. And at South Carolina, man – I don't care how good you recruit at Carolina right now, you know, especially, you know, if you don't have any winning to fall back on, you're trying to kind of evaluate that kind of thing. I don't, I don't, I don't care what, there's going to be some times where even if you're recruiting lights out, you're going to play some teams where you have a personnel deficiency. In other words, their O line is going to be better than your D line or, or their running backs are going to be elite and your linebackers are you know, not quite there. Or their receivers are awesome and your defensive back's not there. Your pass rush isn't there. That kind of thing. Same thing on offense. Uh, we talked about more with less so much during the coaching search. And, and Clayton White and the defensive staff and some members of the offensive staff, believe it or not, do epitomize that. And so I think that, that that's that got to be the, the, the blueprint next, I think. Who, who's going to – who's going to – maximize this thing you know who, who gives us an advantage when we go into a game and you know and, and again getting back to when the hire was first made if you say hey well we're, we're going to have you know we're going to have a, an offense to where it's so versatile that there's going to be different plays and formations every week and it's going to throw the defense off you know there are different plays and formations every week <laughs> Uh, but it doesn't fool anybody. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. And, and and I think the question has to become now, you know, next time somebody tries to say that is you go, 
well, can you teach it? Because being a college coach is being a teacher first. Everybody says that. Old Frank Martin says that, teacher first. And so, uh, and it's in college sports, that's how it is. You know, you have to be able to teach them what to do, and they have to be able to learn it. Uh, And it's a shame that last week it looked like, you know, there had been a breakthrough, but obviously there was not, uh, and you go from there. Gamecock fan three with another one. JC, sorry for the second tweet. Don't be sorry. You can always send a second tweet. But it's just hard to see Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri – uh, get flushed, the the three teams we need to handle, all heavily impacted by head-scratching offensive issues. Uh, I don't believe we were grossly outgunned in those games talent-wise. I agree. You know, Kentucky should have won a one offensive drive there. Uh, Tennessee is a momentum team. We all know that. We watched Georgia play Tennessee this weekend. Tennessee started fast against Georgia like they do against every other team they've played, even Alabama. And then Georgia just kind of responded and stayed the course and stayed the course, and eventually they took over the ball game. And that's how you beat a spread team like that. You respond. All, you, you, they're going to get some yards. They're going to catch you off guard. They're going to score some points early. You respond. Game down 14 nothing, looking bad. They line up. They start running it. All of a sudden, hey, Carolina's in good shape. First goal inside the three, and then boom, oh, let's trick them. You know, Kentucky, one drive, not going to get it done. Missouri, we've talked about that. So you're absolutely right uh, in in that regard. Now, look, with a competent OC, do they beat Tennessee? I don't know. Maybe they lose in a shootout. I'm pretty sure they would beat in Kentucky with three turnovers, and I'm pretty sure they would have won the game yesterday. Um, so that would have been two and one. And that's disappointing because if you win those two, you're seven and three. Now, you're not a great seven and three. Nobody looks at this team and goes, man, these guys, they could win the SEC East. Nobody says that. But in college football, especially in this league, because, you know, these other teams, Florida's not going to be down forever. They may make a coaching change and guy comes in next year and, you know, goes 11 and 1. They're not going to be down forever. We keep saying Tennessee's not going to be down forever. And I think they're on their way to maybe making some things happen. And we, no, Kentucky's as constant as the Northern Star these days. They're going to beat South Carolina. You know, they're going to play some teams later in the year after they play the Gamecocks. And you're going to go, well, how, how the hell did the Gamecocks lose to these guys? But that's just Kentucky football under Mark Stoops. And it's not going anywhere. It's not changing unless, like, Iowa opens up and he goes there or he goes someplace else, which I don't think is going to happen. So, yeah, Gamecocks need to hurdle them. And, and, and now, you know, you're honestly – you know, I – I've always, you know, the last few years, I've kind of been on the thing, well, you know, th- these will all turn eventually. It's just one season, whatever. But look, man, it's not anymore. It's a three-game losing streak, Tennessee and Missouri. Seven of eight to Kentucky, including two in a row. Not good. Not good, folks. Uh, and, yeah, you know, that, that can turn quickly. But, it, you know, it gets old. It gets old after a while. All right, second way to get into the mailbag – is to email me inside the game class at gmail.com and Spence has some things to say. JC, hope you've been good. I knew I knew we'd must champ this game. Why? Because the Florida win was a mirage. That because that's what this program does. This school isn't committed to winning. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that a commitment to winning by the school had much to do with the results of the game. I don't know. Um, the fans suck too because we put up with this and let Ray hire persons who are wholly qualified, unqualified to lead an SEC program, let alone an FCS team. 
Let's uh, let's let, let Beamer play out. I told you after the first game this year, sad at zero feel for play calling and adjusting. You didn't think at the time, but I think we may now see what I saw. Shane lets it fester, and here's what we got. Well, you know, there's different philosophies on making midseason changes with your coaching staff. I could have seen it either way. Uh, I wanted to see what Satterfield did. I, I, I said I would give him four games, and I did. I, I meant that. Obviously, after four games, I'd seen enough. Um, that was right after the Kentucky game. What comes next? I don't know, but I do know Shane's not ready and will die on the Satterfield Hill. Well, let's just wait and see what he does, you know. Uh, I think I'm not going to blast you for saying that because that is a hypothetical that if it happens, it's, it's going to turn a lot of people off. I'm done with this football program until he's out and Tanner, who allowed this coaching malpractice to occur. We're in the abyss. Not yet, my friend. I'm officially broken and hope we get blown out the next two weeks. Maybe Pastides will show the world readership. Uh, and he goes on to complain about Ray, Shane, the BOT. They killed this program and the rest of men's sports. <laughs> Spence, that is a strong, strong, strong email. Um, look, here's the bottom line, you know, about Ray Tanner. Uh Beamer's got to find a way to turn it for Ray's sake, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's nothing that a couple of wins won't solve, be it, you know, one and one and then a bowl win or whatever. Uh, I don't necessarily think that makes the offensive issues go away until we see consistency game to game. Don't blame you for being broken because, you know, it, it's one thing – Spence, when you're you're in a first year of a head coach, right, and new new coaches, new systems, all that good stuff, right? It's all new, and you've got a schedule that is insanely difficult, right? You've got you know eight top twenty five teams, you know Clemson's in the top five, Georgia's number one, you know you play. You know, Florida's in the top 10. Auburn's in the top 15. You know, Texas A&M's in the top 10. You, you go through and you look and you're like, man, these guys, you know, yeah, tough. It's, it's tough. Well, that hasn't really happened this year. You know, as good as Texas A&M has played, they still went and got held to 19 points against Ole Miss on the road. Ole Miss doesn't even play defense. And that's not a criticism of Texas A&M. It's more about Lane Kiffin and the job he's done in Oxford. But A&M isn't like a – I don't know if Gamecock fans realize this. They're not a top-five team. They've lost three, three games, four games, three games. Um, Auburn, not a top-15 team. You know, Clemson, not in the top-25. Florida, you've seen their issues, although the Gamecocks won. Missouri, struggling, struggling to get to a bowl. Uh, and you lose them, you know, and, and not only that, you squeak by teams like East Carolina and Troy and Vandy, and, and that does nothing for anybody's confidence, especially on offense, because those wins, the defense all played really good. Uh, you know, Vandy even saved the day setting Zeb Nolan up for that drive. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that it's one thing if you're sitting there struggling and everybody else as this happens in the sec sometimes and everybody else is just damn good and you're like man you know 
these guys are really good, and so it just is what it is. You just chalk it up. But that's not the case. This is all of a sudden a a season of missed opportunity. You know, and, and I'll even say, okay, get blown out at Georgia and A&M and Tennessee. That happens. Six points for Kentucky. You have one offensive drive that works, and then the debacle this past weekend. You're still sitting there at a good seven and three, you know, and everybody's talking about how Shane Beamer's turned this thing around in one year. But you're not. And so I understand the frustration. I'm probably not as – colorful in my language as you are Spence as I've known as we've all known over the years uh, but I understand I understand your frustration ma'am and I get it and you know what this tells me this this email you just sent is that you're passionate about it you should be passionate about it um, you, you, nobody should accept anything that's happened on offense this year at all uh, I was willing to kind of give it a shot after Florida. I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is just one of those things where they, they found what worked finally and they're going to just going to go. And, and this is kind of, kind of be the offense we'd see. I didn't expect another 40 point outburst or anything, even though Missouri's defense was bad. I was like, well, Missouri will adjust some to it. They'll make some adjustments. So it'll be the same thing. You run the ball, you got Brown out of the gun, running kind of a spread deal, some quick passes, some tempo. Tempo wasn't even there. I don't even know where the heck that went. Uh, and, you know, they'll be all right. Didn't happen. Back to grab bag O plays, back to the dartboard offense. That mass confusion up front, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's frustrating. And I get, I got it, Spence. I got it. I know that was a pretty harsh email from Spence there, but. Just how it is. Jared says, I said it last week, death taxes and the Gamecocks losing after a big win. Missouri's not a good team. Could not run the ball against the worst defense in the SEC. And after seeing how Florida looked yesterday, it makes me believe it was a fluke. Satterfield went backwards in the play calling. The kids did not quit, though. It made it a closer game than it really was. That's true. And that's the positive thing. I started off on the big spur with that. Uh, say I'm going to be positive right out of the thing. The guys didn't quit. And you know, for the future and even the immediate future, that means something because, you know, when you're playing an opponent, you know, I've seen a lot of other teams screw up too. And, and if you're not, if you don't quit, the other team starts screwing up, kind of like Missouri did, you know, you can get back in the game. And, uh, but if you quit and you're, you just don't care, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be hitting somebody and forcing a fumble or having the wherewithal to get a pick or whatever happens. So, that's good. Now the pressure's on Carolina with these next two home games, and honestly, I don't have much with either. I think we can beat Auburn if the Bo Nix of last year comes back this time. If not, I think it'll be over in the first half. Well, Bo Nix isn't coming at all. It's going to be T.J. Finley. He's got, I think, season-ending surgery. So good news is Bo Nix, who's actually had a pretty good year. Bo, Bo played really well the first half, and then all of a sudden Mississippi State just – Auburn could do nothing offensively. They couldn't stop him. It was a weird game down on the Plains on Saturday. Uh, but Bose had a pretty good year. Now, Finley came in and saved the Georgia State game for them. I know they like him, and we all remember what happened when he played the Gamecocks in Baton Rouge last year as the quarterback at LSU as a first-time true freshman starter. We saw what happened, 17 of 21, I think. My question is, do you think the Florida game saved Satterfield's job? I know a lot rides on these last two games, but I think I've seen enough of his offense to know. Thanks again for all you do. Hopefully, maybe my dad and I will bring good luck to Carolina at the Auburn game this coming Saturday. That's right. Jared's bringing his dad to the Auburn game. Frequent emailer here. 
And, uh, you know, I, I hope that the weather's good. I hope there's a good vibe around the stadium. I hope it's a good game. You know, and, and you know, I've said many times, Carolina football is about family and spending time with your family and uh, all the wonderful memories, good, all the wonderful memories and all the bad memories of the games that we have, but we always enjoy the company. I know the one game I went to this year, that's kind of the takeaway I had. I was like, well, I'm, uh, it, it never makes my job good or easy after a loss obviously and especially in football uh basketball you kind of basketball and baseball you always have another game so you can kind of like turn it around but football mm-mm. uh you gotta live with that a week sometimes too uh but you know seeing people that i haven't seen in a long time catching up with old friends spending time with you know really good friends and family i mean that's that that's what mattered you know as far as that game that trip went and I, and I would encourage you to kind of take the same approach, you know, uh, sometimes these games where they're not high expectations, night games, you just kind of relax and you go, Hey, we'll just take your shot. And, you know, it's probably a similar feel before the Florida game. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, if I said I was confident about these last two games, I'd be lying. Uh, I think Auburn after what happened last week can turn it and rally around the backup quarterback. Although, you know, their kicker being out, We'll talk more about this later this week. That, that that could be a factor depending on who else they have at kicker because if you don't have a good backup kicker and you're kicking him, that could I mean probably takes the field goal out, you know, right? So who knows? Uh, and and look, man, T.J. Finley after he lit up the Gamecocks last year was very average. Uh, so who knows? Who knows what'll happen? I know Tank Bigsby's a good back. They're going to try to run the ball. I also know uh, Auburn has been sort of up and down on the offensive line this year. Uh, they, they haven't really – I think they've maximized that, unlike the Gamecocks who haven't. I think they've maximized what they've got, but they're still not ideal. So maybe it's a nice resurgent game for the Carolina defensive line. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm confident. Anyway, Jared, hope you have a wonderful trip. And Sorry about the loss. Phillip says, not sure what's going on. How can an FBS level, let alone SEC level, O-line be that bad? Wolford is known to be a competent coach and recruiter, and I just don't buy that this is a problem that you have to recruit your way out of. No, I completely reject that. You know, number one, it's illogical, okay? Number one, the numbers on the roster. Now, look, there could be a lot of attrition, and then it's not going to be any better. You know, you recruit your way out of it. You know, I don't think there's going to be three years worth of this. Do you? No. And and that's how long it takes on the O-line. Now, they're looking for some tackles in the portal, and they're going to try their best to get guys. But, man, you can't just go, you know, say, ah, we're going to recruit. I mean, and the numbers that were left and the the, the raw talent that was left is better than that. Do they need some guys that can move their feet and play tackle a little better? Yes. Is Jazz Turnitine – to be a guy that's six seven three thirty, does he does he need some some sort of motivation or to play better? I mean, yes, absolutely. You know, he he probably shouldn't be playing. I mean, you probably should put Jakai Moore in there or put somebody else in. I mean, I don't care who you put. I don't care who you play. I turn it down. Just he nobody can be any worse than what he's played individually. I mean, even last week against Florida, you see other guys engaging in blocks, finishing blocks, not old jazz, you know, and I don't know what it is. Uh, he should be better, but he's not. So, you know, yes, they're, they're, 
do they need more tackles? Absolutely. But, it, you know, you're talking about a situation at Florida uh, back in 2015 that Jim McElwain took over, you know, a guy that did not last that long for Will Muschamp, had four scholarship offensive linemen in the spring game. I mean, South Carolina left nine. Wolford left 19 scholarship offensive linemen. Okay. 19. Um, he said uh, Brown had pressure instantly almost every play. We couldn't run the ball better than FCS teams have, and non-Power 5 teams could against that defense. But like they knew what the plays were running before we ran them. That's because they were just getting penetration, man, so they were right there. I mean, you know, and I'll go back to the early fumble. Turn of time, just whips on a block. Just no, I don't know. I don't even know that he thought he should block the guy. And then they blow up Lloyd and Brown in the backfield, fumble, and then you go from being on, at least up 10 nothing, probably, maybe 14 nothing, to Missouri's got the ball and got the momentum. He said, that's not on Jason Brown. You can't play quarterback when you have guys blowing up handoffs and hitting your blind side when you're running play action. Uh, and God only knows why you run seven-step drops when you can't block. I have no idea of that either. That's crazy. I didn't feel like we ran the same run schemes against Florida, even though Shane says we did. They probably did. Um, at times, but they never really got going. And uh, it's not so much that they needed to run the same stuff they ran against Florida so much as that they needed to continue to concentrate on running the football. So, all right, so, so, so and, and this is, again, I'm not a coach, so this is just my gut feeling here. Maybe I'm wrong. So, what you have to ask yourself is, okay, here's what they're doing. Here's what Missouri's doing on defense. Why don't, you know, why don't we run it where they're not? It's hmm, an interesting concept. Or why don't we throw it where they're not? You know, they, they leaked Zaquandre White out of the backfield, and he, I think he's still running. I think he ran all the way to St. Louis, back to Kansas City. I mean, you know, obviously when a team is sending a bunch of players to one end of the area of the field, there is an area of the field that is open. Defense got exposed a little too, especially in the run game, the play where Damani Staley was one-on-one with a 195 running back and could not take him down. On third and long, even their territory was really rough. I can't blame them here. They were allowed 24 points against Missouri, and we should have been able to score more than that. Yeah, I agree. Look, and Missouri's offense – I don't think they've been world beaters this year, but that hadn't been the problem out there. Their defense has been the problem. Um, I think you had to account for them scoring in the 20s. Adam scored in the 20s in my prediction. So what's going on with the offensive line? How do you address fixing it? First thing I do is uh, if Ja'Kai Moore is healthy, I play him. Uh, I've said for weeks you need to bench Eric Douglas and play Vincent Murphy. Uh, but then again, if you're going to have – Communication issues on the O line, and I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know. You know, my, my, I guess my guess is Vinnie Murphy can do it. Uh, go back to, you know, the fundamentals of blocking. And um, if they're, if Auburn or Clemson, and Clemson will send the house, folks, if they're going to play you like uh, Missouri played you, you find a way to make them pay, man. And and for the life of me, I don't know why seven step drops or, or you feel like you can make them pay. I, mean, I don't know. Jason Brown to me is like a shotgun quarterback. I don't know. 
How much is Sat versus Atkins versus talent? Maybe these are unanswerable questions at this point. Thanks again to go Cox, Philip. Um, like I said about the talent, I I do agree with the notion they probably need some more tackles or guys that can play tackle. But I don't think these guys are not. I mean, maybe Turnitin is not a guy that's – maybe it is talent with him. And he's just big. Who knows? Uh, you keep seeing 75 show up with whiff blocks. And, and, you know, how does a guy 6'7", 335 do that? I mean, you just don't – you, you kind of wonder, you know. Um, but it's – I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've maintained from the beginning. It, this is not a recruit your way out of it talent issue – it, it, all right, so, so let's say that becomes the narrative, you know, this offseason from within the program. Let's just say that, which I doubt it will. I, that's Let's just speculate here. All right, we'll sit there and watch it for three years. And I guarantee you they can try to recruit their way out of it all they want, and they can on paper have done that and all that good stuff. And if you still have communication, I bet you 10 bucks to a donut. My mom and dad used to say it. My mom used to say it. Bet you 10 bucks to a donut. Uh, the communication issues will continue. Because, again, it's not a college offense. It's just not a college offense. You can't ask college kids to do too much. And I think that's what they're doing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Drew says, listening to other podcasts, they mentioned Jason Brown was under center far more often this week, whereas in Florida he was mostly in shotgun. To appeal with his strength when he's at St. Francis, what's the benefit of going under center? They also mentioned play calling was 50-50 zone versus gap, whereas Florida was 66-33 gap versus zone. First time all year, Drew. I haven't looked at the run-play breakdowns, but I would be curious to see, though, the gap, like the production out of the gap plays versus the zone plays. And I haven't broken it down, so I don't know. And I, and I, I liked – if this is true, and, and, and again, they've probably charted it, no. Uh, I'm not questioning their information. Th- then that's inexcusable. I mean, <laughs> why? Why? And I have no idea why they put Jason Brown under center more. Why? You know, like, and, and look, I, I'll tell you this, the, the, the I formation with Bell at fullback, I think they scored with Kevin Harris the first touchdown. Down inside the three, I don't mind that. That's good. I, I've been calling for that. Fine, you want to put him under center down there. No problem. But these other – I mean, I just – it's baffling because that's not Jason Brown, man. He's, a, he's more of a gun guy. I mean, and, and that matters. That's why sometimes, you know – you know, again, in the NFL, you know, you're going to sit there and go through off-season training camp and workouts and private workouts, and all of a sudden you have all day to work on it. That's why those guys, like, the minute they get drafted, if they're in a shotgun type of offense, they're consistently working under center to try to get it right because it's a little bit different. And I, and I don't think that that plays to Jason Brown's strengths at all, nor do I think that has anything to do with him being a good quarterback or not a good quarterback. Okay, I don't think it has a dang thing to do with with him, how good he is, how how ungood he is, whatever. I think that's a square peg and round hole kind of thing that reared its ugly head during the game. Uh, And if these numbers are right, that's disappointing because obviously the gap scheme stuff worked last week. Um, Maybe maybe they were shutting it down though, Drew. So I I don't want to. 
I don't want to say that, you know, because maybe they maybe they did maybe they got more yards out of the zone than the gap, and Missouri was ready for it or whatever. But very very disappointing about the under center thing, and 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 to me, there's there's benefit in it when you've got a short yardage situation, but that's about it. Um, you know, because you you. <laughs> And again, my philosophy after the after the game, and I said this after the game, I deleted the post because I violated my own rules. Kill me, whatever. I did not think that the offensive coordinator set Jason Brown up for success. It seemed to me, it, it, to my untrained eye, and I may be wrong, seemed to me that this week, after last week, and everybody's talking about how good Jason Brown played, and oh, they simplified and it worked, and. Yeah, 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 this is all good. It seemed to me like somebody said, oh, well, we're going to go back to running our offense, which has been awful the whole year, and uh, we're going to make Jason Brown just do the whole playbook, do everything. Well, that's either like miscalculating what he can do or, or that's just ego. It's one of two things, you know. And like I said, I don't think it's anything to do with what kind of quarterback Jason Brown is or could be. Uh, I think just like any coach – you're going to coach, uh, and, and it's it's a it's a it's a shame because what did Shane Beamer always say when he was hired about offense? Well, you can run any kind of scheme you want, but you better have something that your players can can thrive in and be successful in, you know, because you're not always going to have everything. And I thought that was brilliant, and I agree. At South Carolina, boy, yeah, you need to be able to run, be a running team when you need to be a running team, or pass a team when you need a passing team, whatever. Um, that's the way it was at Oklahoma, you know, and in Oklahoma, last time I checked, uh, they're pretty good at recruiting skill, skill, talent, offensive linemen and quarterbacks, running backs and all those guys. So obviously the shortages out in Norman are going to be a lot different than the ones in Columbia. So I don't know why he's under center, uh, um, except for in those short yardage things, which I did like, I did like. Hudson says, rough loss this weekend, sucked the air out of the room. No kidding. How does Juju McDowell not have one touch all game against Missouri? It feels like coaching malpractice to me. Considering what they were doing and that he's a guy that can get to the edge, I would tend to agree. Maybe some of you coaches out there can tell me why that wouldn't have been a good idea to get him out in space on the edge. Hopefully we can find a win the next two weeks. I just don't think we'll be able to score against Auburn or Clemson's defense. Maybe we can find a few defensive touchdowns. Thanks again for covering the Gamecocks. Always enjoy your show. Thanks, Hudson. I appreciate you and all the emails. I, you know, and I don't know. I don't know what to think about what will happen the next two weeks. And I'll probably talk myself into the Gamecocks being able to compete the next two weekends. Uh, I don't think there's any reason at all why they can't compete against Clemson unless Clemson somehow gets healthier and puts it all together, which they do from time to time against the Gamecocks, right? Historically, uh, you know, that's a, that's an opportunity there against a team that, that really is, is struggling that, you know, and Clemson people can say all they want about Tony Elliott or whatever. It, it, it's really, it's a personnel issue and injuries up there that, that have really, that's why they're not as good. You know, wouldn't surprise me to see them beat Wake Forest. I think, you know, if their defense plays at an elite level this weekend, which they're, they're that that side of the ball up there is very capable, they could easily beat them. I almost think it'd be probably better than for the Gamecocks if they beat Wake and then think they're going to come in and slaughter the Gamecocks or whatever. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. 
So I don't know. You know, we'll see what what happens. All right, guys, that's all for today. Here on a Monday slash Tuesday, it's Monday evening, so going to be getting this out a little late. Probably no show tomorrow, back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, predictions, whatever. Uh, and hope all you guys are doing well. Sorry about that loss, man. That was a disappointing, disappointing deal out in Columbia, Missouri. Shoot, third straight loss to them. I never really thought <sighs> recently is uh, – you know, 2019, even losing that one out there like they did, I didn't think it would get the three. You know, I thought, well, they got the best of the Gamecocks this week, but, you know, good luck moving forward. But, hey, here we go. Eli Drinkwitz is now 3-0 against the Gamecocks. Boy, that's – wow. Anyway, uh, share some of your frustrations. I'll be here to talk. Send the uh, – keep the mailbag going, and I'll keep making podcasts and – giving my take and speaking to all of you either on the big or otherwise hope folks have a good evening uh, have a good week talk to you soon